Welcome to the I Think You're Wrong podcast. My name is Jake Lichtel. And I'm Sebastian Waldron. Today, we're discussing doubt as a form of faith. Jake, I'm excited. I'm pretty excited about this topic. So this is something you've thought a lot about um, throughout your time as a Christian, but also now um, you've been thinking about it more recently um, as a divinity student. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think in a lot of ways, doubt is actually a faithful Christian practice um, in that as in the process of growing in faith that we have to up, come up against some of these doubts um, and we don't, we don't grow unless we have those, those moments. So eventually I want to talk about actually practicing doubt um, as a part of the religious experience. But to start, let's, let's just define what doubt is as it pertains to faith in the Christian tradition, but maybe also in, in all the great world religions. Well, so doubt is just the lack of certainty. So it's, it's uncertainty. Um, and there's a, there's an interesting take on a lot of, from a lot of popular Christian thinkers. Pete Enns is one. He wrote the books, The Sin of Certainty. I went to actually an event um, by Peter Rollins called Escaping the Tyranny of Certainty. <laughs> um, there's just this kind of popular idea um, in certain wings of the Christian church that are okay with doubt, and they're saying, hey, like the opposite of faith isn't doubt. It's actually having certainty. Mm. And I think it's something that we have to just jump headlong into and be okay with that. Cause I think we see that in the Bible. And, and I think doubt also just to add to that, it's, it's, it's an acknowledgement of that uncertainty. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's being able to, um, actually be, be honest and open and to really, to really try to, try to dig deep um, into not knowing. Yeah, so maybe, maybe a good way of saying it is it's, it's the moment that we realize we don't know everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that not that kind of what faith is, though? <laughs> yeah, so, 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 you know, as, you know, the, the type of, of Christian and believer that I am, I'm, I'm really comfortable in mystery. Sure. Um, I find a lot of comfort in that. I think God is so so much larger than than really any great world religion. Um, you know, we, we talk about that a little bit in uh, on our, in our episode of of our religious background. But you know, your you you, you fall on the other side. Yes, I do. Um, and and I think you're wrong that's about okay. that. But but but. Talk a little bit about how doubt. So, so for me, you know, to be honest, doubt is doubt is fairly easy. Okay. You know, um, it's it's not very scary to me. Uh-huh. Um, and and I actually think maybe the the question of believing mm-hmm. or the the actual truth isn't a really isn't the most important. Sure. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's a topic for another day. Absolutely but, should be. But, but how does that play a role in your spiritual life as someone who, who, you know, the, the truth, the bodily resurrection in, in, in our faith tradition of Christianity is something that matters so deeply mm-hmm. to your denomination, your tradition, your faith. How's doubt play a role in that for you? 
Yeah, so, I mean, and I talk about this in our, our spiritual background episode, but I went through a pretty pretty radical deconstruction of my faith um, when I was um, in undergrad in college, and I had to radically redefine what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus might be a better way of saying that, because mm. I, I think the term Christian has a lot of hang-ups for it, like in... in what you believe about certain things mm-hmm. and certain doctrines. But I think mm-hmm. really what I was getting down to was what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, yeah. for me that, that doubt played a role in allowing me to ask certain questions and really recognize that God wasn't asking for blind certainty of belief or ascension of certain ideas. He was asking me to trust him mm. And that looks very different than knowing that I know that I know (laughs) in such a way that like it's a factual thing out there that I can, you know, um, or something that I I just have to believe blindly. It's something that it's something about trust that I think is, is, is very different than what so often is portrayed as faith, which is a certainty Mm -hmm. of what you believe. Mm -hmm. So, Let's get into this a little more and and talk about how we actually practiced out. So 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 you said it, be, it became a a part of mm-hmm. what you do as a Christian, and I think it's it's been a part a lot. It, it's it's been a part of a lot of uh, great religious thinkers. Oh, absolutely. Lives. Um, most notable, I mean, the first that comes to mind is is Mother Teresa uh-huh. for me. How how does doubt? How do you actually practice doubt in in the religious life? So I think you practice doubt, and and I get I look at this from reading different spiritual thinkers. Um, some of my favorite, um, I would call them spiritual mentors from afar, mm-hmm. um, are Henry Nouwen, um, and reading his work and and this is wrestling. I think. You know, a lot of authors have called it different things, but you know, dark night of the soul mm-hmm. might be one of them. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's a, it's a recognition. So when you're practicing doubt, it's actually recognizing that there are a lot of moments in our life when I just am not certain about certain things, about particulars about God. Um, and I think we need to be a lot more comfortable with the fact that when we have those moments of crisis. Where is God? Um, why did this happen? Mm-hmm. Um, man, I'm, I'm sounding like some of the people in the Bible. You know, where did you go? Right. You know, some of these things. That that form of doubt, those form of questions, maybe is a better way of putting it, that's actually in a long line of, of biblical characters and yeah. biblical narratives of people questioning God, of people doubting, if you will, and we participate that in that as as believers by I think recognizing we don't have it all together. There are moments when I don't trust God, mm-hmm. and that's where I get in the, there's a trust thing there, and I'm just not sure about what's what, what tomorrow's going to look like. Um, and I think allowing for that space and just being not being judgmental about that space, but being aware that this is actually a moment for me to grow in trust. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so let's get into scripture mm-hmm. a little more. Then, um, you know, we we studied 
lot of wisdom literature, a lot of the prophets this year as divinity school students. Where do you find doubt as a part of scripture and, 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 and how do we use, how do we use that in, sure. in our Christian lives? So I think you don't have to go any farther than the Psalms mm-hmm. to find different people in different times struggling through doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the wisdom literature. I don't think we can go, I think we have a perfect example in Ecclesiastes. Okay. Um, and maybe maybe that wasn't doubt, but that was kind of an existential crisis before there was an existential... <laughs> yeah, so, so can you, some of our listeners may not... Sure. Well, so the book of Ecclesiastes, I mean, it opens up with Koheleth, uh, the author of the teacher. It's traditionally believed that it was Solomon who wrote this uh, book, um, you know, the wisest person in the Bible, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And he opens his book with vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Basically, what he's saying is everything, nothing matters. Like, right. I've had everything. Right. I've had all the power. I've had all the wisdom. Yeah. Ecc- Ecclesiastes is the book where you really don't find... There's no redeeming quality, no necessarily. Redeeming quality <laughs> and, and, and God is is sort of absent, right? Yeah, I think God, so God it's, is... it's very yeah. existential... Yeah, God is portrayed um, as being very li- far away. Life is life is kind of meaningless. In, in some book. ways, yeah. <laughs> I, and I appreciate that because he, he comes to this point of like... He's not sure, like, you know, the fool and the, and the wise man both die. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. What did wisdom get him? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, he's really wrestling with some of these questions of, like, what do I do when this stuff happens? Well, or even if we have faith, right? So you see in, like, other wisdom literature, like, like in Job yeah. or something, yeah. um, there's a little bit of a different lesson sure. there. Um, it, you know, it's... it's, it's it's the importance of faith. Is it the importance despite, of faith, though? Despite hardship, maybe. I mean, that's an interesting interpretation. I'd like <laughs> to explore that. Um, well, however, we can we can do a we can do an episode tease, on the book of Job. I want you to tease that out a little bit, <laughs> but regardless, like Ecclesiastes doesn't seem um, doesn't seem to really be saying anything. Um, about about the impo- or or it's saying where or, or it's or at least it's questioning where does faith get you? Yeah, I think know, I think it's questioning some of experience. the fundamental assumptions. It's questioning some of the fundamental assumptions of religion and religious life, and maybe even being a good person. That might be like maybe a little controversial, but you know, reading through that book, he kind of he kind of frames this whole thing that like no matter what we do, none of it matters. Mm-hmm. You might as well live. A bit, you might as well live however you want, because at the end of the day, this is all, you're going to be dust. Like you're not going to leave anything behind. No one's going to remember you. Yeah, that's kind of a scary thought, and it's something that I, I know has crossed my mind in certain certain moments. And so when you when you experience this, these moments of maybe trepidation is a good word for it. What do you do? I mean, do you yeah. sit in that doubt? Well, is so. So that's kind of something I wrote down before, before we started talking about this. Is you know what happens when doubt goes too far? Sure. As a believer. As a believer, I think you can have. I think doubt has to be done in community. So I think something that Protestants and you're Catholic, so it's a little bit different. You guys have the tradition. Yeah. You have you know you have different. 
levels of um, interpretation that kind of guide you guys. You have liturgy, you have all these different things. In a lot of Protestant traditions, and including some of my own, we don't necessarily have this high value on anything other than Scripture, and then the Protestant idea of everyone's an interpreter, and we don't mm-hmm. have any authority outside yeah, of the text right. except it's, ourselves. It's your interpretation. That's, yeah, that's the problem. And with so Protest- with Protestants, I think that yeah, that, that's a, that, no, that's a definite. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm, 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 no, I, I know you're just giving me a I'm, hard time, but I'm giving you a hard time, but. But that, that is a, it's a serious problem sometimes with the way we interpret scripture. And so yeah. when, when you're yeah. the only one interpreting... Who, who has the authority, Who right? has the authority. Who's, who's, yeah. But also you have to do... I mean, I, I believe you have to do this in, in, in the midst of community. You can't just be someone on your own. I'm just going to doubt everything. Because ultimately you're going you're gonna to leave. Mm. When you do it in a community, though, you can bring an aspect of who I think God is and what the, what the human and the Christian experience is into a community of people, maybe, maybe they're not doubting, but you're asking questions and it, maybe it moves them and maybe they're in a different place and you guys all work together because it's the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, like you guys move forward and you're better for it with one another. Yeah. So I think it has yeah. to be done in the context of a community. And that's where, you know, even in the modern American church and the modern American world, like we are so torn apart. Yeah. You know, from our communities, we have a lot of mm-hmm. online stuff, but we don't have physical relationships with people. So, so I want to stay on scripture for for a minute, sure. And interp- and the idea of interpretation. So, so you so, you know, you you said my my interpretation of of like Job, for example, <laughs> <laughs> is interesting. Um, you know, why why it like. I'm interested in you brought up Ecclesiastes and other books of the, of wisdom literature. What do those? Because I think those have a lot to say about faith, and faith obviously has a lot to say about doubt. So, mm-hmm. so you know, for example, why why is my idea of of what of what Job's <laughs> idea of faith is why is that why is that well? So I don't I don't off nec- to you I don't necessarily bit. think that Job is a book about faith necessarily. Okay, I, I mean I think in the broadest sense it's a book about why good things happen to. Why bad things happen, happen to, good, to people. good people, right? Um, and, and then you know, there's there's other layers and dimensions. I mean, that's like the the cursory look. But but I, I think I think where I'm coming from is good people in that context. Yeah, yeah. Means someone who has who has faith in God and is doing what God asks. Sure. Right? Well, I mean, if you look at if you read Job, you realize that Job is a righteous man mm-hmm. who's doing everything right. Mm-hmm. And then you know, hey, all this hardship occurs occurs in his life. His family's killed. He's stricken with boils. It's just an ugly mess. Right, it's horrible. Yeah. And what you find out quickly, they have this really interesting exchange with Job's friends. What Job's friends emulate is right. a ancient Near Eastern idea of good and evil. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, if the rules are being followed, so to speak. Job should have been unrighteous, and so they keep coming to him with like these complaints, like, "Well, you probably did something. Well, I think you must have done something. You wrong must have done. Or, something. I mean, yeah. like, of course, like, God doesn't punish the righteous, right? Right. Of course, we know something behind the scenes that is happening in the narrative that mm-hmm. the characters don't. Mm-hmm. Which is which is what? Tell which the, is that, tell the listeners just well, in case. Well, so if you <laughs> if you've ever read the story of Job, it's a theodicy. It's it's explaining why good things or bad things happen to good people. Mm-hmm. Mixing that up each time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and so you have you have the adversary, what has been translating in English as the devil coming to coming to God and saying, uh, "Look at your servant Job. Uh, you know he worships you because you bless him." And right. and God says, "Well, no, I like Job. I think he's I think he's a pretty. This is my this is going to be my my interpretation of it. I like Job. He's a good guy. Uh, you know, if you want to, if you want." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can you can do harm to him, but you can't kill him. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what yeah. happens. I really yeah. think he loves me, and so you know the devil or the adversary, because in the in the Old Testament there was no devil. Uh, it's the adversary, and that's a whole other separate issue of, of historical. Right. Yeah. yeah, it just means the accuser. So you know, there's all sorts of ancient Near Eastern reason, um, historical reasons for why I don't think they believed in a devil, which is a solely separate podcast. Yeah, but we'll, we'll do another podcast. Yeah. Then. On that, actually, that'll be interesting. That would be definitely an interesting topic to cover. But, you know, so I I think the interpretation of Job, I think what Job is trying to say, and this is just really broad, is, um, you know, why I think it's a theodicy. I think fundamentally it's a theodicy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, there are moments of doubt. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't doubt God until the end, right? Right. Well, he even asks God to kill him a couple times. It's kind of a brutal book. But he but he still he still has a relationship with God. Yeah, he doesn't sin, right? right? So he's still righteous. Yeah. So he's yeah. still he's still participating in what he's supposed to do. Which I guess I interpreted as faith, but But maybe that is faith. And maybe yeah. you're wrong. Maybe you're right. I might be totally off right yeah. now. Yeah. I, I I think I misunderstood what you said. So I mm-hmm. think as we kind of talked about it, yeah. I think you might have you might be onto something um interesting. Or maybe you think I'm wrong. Or maybe we, maybe we're both wrong. <laughs> so so what is this? Um, so how do we use scripture like this? Um, you know, how do we navigate that? You said it's important in community, and a lot of community is, you know, especially like you said in in certain Protestant denominations, really getting into to these these stories. So yeah. how do we use these stories? Not only wisdom literature, I know we, we've spent a lot of time talking about that, but also, you know, some of the prophets, the sure. Psalms, even, you know, uh, we can talk about the New Testament too. Sure. A little bit. Well, so I mean, I, I really like the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Um, so Wesleyan, Wesleyan quadrilateral is a way to interpret scripture. Yeah. Um, it's it's quadrilateral, so it's four of them. So at the top, it's scripture. Use scripture, use reason, use experience, and use tradition. Mm-hmm. And you filter your interpretation through all of those points. Scripture is ultimately the the end point, but you're using all of those things. When I was an undergrad, we added one, and that was community. Mm-hmm. And so these were communities of interpretation that we were bringing in that maybe weren't our community of interpretation. And so when we're reading the prophets, when we're reading... You know, I mean, look at Abraham. We call him the father of faith. Right. Actually, this this is an interesting segue. If you've read Hebrews 11, if you haven't, go go grab it right now. Pause this and go read it. It's called the Hall of Faith. The Bible lists a bunch of people that did not believe, <laughs> <laughs> that had some serious problems. If we look back and go, mm-hmm. I don't think they did the right thing, but why is the Bible calling them people of faith? Right. Well, it's because they trusted God in the end, right? It, it, they did they did all of these things in the service of God, but they had moments despite the dark night of despite the, soul. the dark night of the soul, or yeah. despite like not being qualified. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah. or whatever the circumstance was. I mean, you read that, it's a laundry list of people yeah. that, I mean, really did some crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Yet we call them the people of the Hall of Faith. Yeah. It's a very interesting text, especially looking back on those narratives in the Old Testament. Um, so I think, again, I think we do this in community and we do this with the narrative. I, I think we have to read these as stories that are insights and windows into the human experience of religion. Yeah. You know, and, and I think even, even Jesus on the cross for a minute has some doubt, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's a bad interpretation, but I really like it. Yeah. You know, Jesus crying out to God. Well, it says something about, about the human experience. Yeah, I think, I think Jesus on the cross was experiencing right. all of that human so suffering. When, so when you experience human suffering, that's sure, a part you, of doubt, too. You question. Right. Yeah, you, it yeah. brings you to, it can bring you to those doubts and to those questions. Um, I think we have to, we have to allow ourselves permission because when we doubt something or we're not certain about something, many times it can actually lead us to questions and it leads us to search things out. And it actually leads us to, number one, more questions, mm-hmm. but also in the search of the answer. I think we get to know the person we're searching for. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't think Christianity is about, again, assenting to a set of doctrines, although those are important. I think it's learning to be in relationship with a person, and that person's Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And so it's, yeah. you know, that process of doubt and asking questions actually, actually is a process of leading us to. I mean, when, when you go out on a date, you ask questions, <laughs> right? You don't want to assume. Right. That's not really doubt, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. You got to ask questions. I asking mean, questions is a part of, of getting to know. Of getting to know. A, a person, or or just just anything new, absolutely in your life, right? So it's, why it's do we get to a human experience? Yeah, so. why do we get to a point where we have to have all the answers and call it faith? Yeah, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, and especially if we're talking about the ineffable God. Mm-hmm. Why do you think you have it all made out? So I, I guess some people might not feel that God is ineffable, though, right? Well, I think He's unknowable to an extent. He's mm-hmm. revealed himself in Scripture. I believe that. Mm-hmm. But the Scripture is, and many traditions and many people have said this, it's a well that just keeps giving. I yeah. mean, you can't get to the bottom of that thing. Uh, I think that's why we have 2,000 years of Christian interpretation, uh, Islamic interpretation of some of those texts, and then obviously Jewish interpretation, which goes back much farther with the Old Testament. Yeah, so, so as you've thought about doubt... Um, as it pertains to your own faith, have you have you um, looked at other religious traditions at all? I know I, maybe I'm putting you on the spot here. I mean, we're we're, we're really talking about doubt in the in the Christian, in the Christian tradition. tradition. But um, you know, wh- wh- what does doubt have to, or or what do what does the practice of doubt in other religious traditions have to offer? As well, you know, I'm I'm not as familiar with the way that doubt would interplay with other faith traditions. I think mm-hmm. that's something interesting. I'd love to talk to someone from those. Yeah. So I don't want to presume. I'm not. I'm not a member of one of yeah. those faith traditions. I would. I think it would be an interesting conversation with someone who 
practices those other religious the re- religions. Yeah. And maybe could give insight because again, I don't. I'm not. That's not my experience. Right. Uh, but I. But I do. I do have experience of coming to the end of myself and wrestling with doubts, and then realizing that that is actually a divine practice. It leads us to the divine. Mm. I, I alluded to earlier, Jesus on the cross. My mm-hmm. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think this is a bad interpretation, but so, I really like so, it. So why? So yeah. Explain that. Uh, this this interpretation essentially it's it's the moment that got that Jesus doubted. It's it's a human, it's a very human moment. And obviously mm-hmm. interpreters have taken that. Well, he's alluding to some messianic psalm and all of these right, types of right, things. Right, right, right. I think it. I like the interpretation that it's it was a moment that the human humanity of Jesus was fully expressed mm-hmm. as he died. The divinity never died in Jesus, right? right. The God part of, of but the of, whole the whole idea, um, you know, of of the passion narrative, yes, the passion narrative yeah. is, you know, the the, the compassion uh-huh. and empathy that Jesus shows mm-hmm. to all of us by experiencing what we experience, yeah, as I, as humans, right? And he had to experience our doubts, right? Did he know that? And I know you don't believe in the resurrection as I believe in the resurrection. Yeah. But I have to wonder, did he doubt that God would raise him? Mm. I think probably he did because he had to trust. In that human moment. In that very human moment. I Mm -hmm. I mean, because I take the view that Jesus didn't have all the knowledge when he was on earth. Mm -hmm. Right? He divested himself of divine attributes. And I believe one of those was... um, Having having knowledge, having of, true knowledge of of God. Uh, well, I think having of, true knowledge of everything. It's, of it's everything. A, um, you know ha- having omniscience, right? So mm-hmm. he's only in one place. Mm-hmm. I I wonder, and I think it puts us in an interesting place to of worship to recognize that the human Jesus who died on the cross for us, mm-hmm. he has some. He had some of the very same experiences that we all have, and you know, like the the question of. Is this really going to work? Mm-hmm. Is there really a heaven? I mean, I've had some of the. Does God really send people to hell? I doubted that for a while. I don't have a. I have some interpretations of that that are interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think you know Jesus had those moments as well, especially on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where did you go? Peter Rollins says it's the moment God became an atheist, or mm-hmm. Jesus became an atheist. Mm-hmm. It's the moment God doubted God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love. I mean, that yeah. is. If that's not profound for people, it was profound for me because mm-hmm. it it gave me permission mm-hmm. to participate in this long-standing practice of re- doubting Thomas, of recognizing mm-hmm. that we don't all ha- always have the answer. Yeah. So, so I think something interesting that you did, Jake, at one time. Um, is practice as, as you know I hope you're okay with me bringing this up um, is atheism for Lent can you explain what what that was for you because yeah. I think that, I think as we've been talking about doubt we're, we're talking about it in you know in, in its relationship with with faith kind sure. of as a believer you know in, sure. in, in Christian community yeah. but, but I also think a part of doubt especially for people like us who yeah. are who are, you know, studying 
this from an academic perspective every day. Yeah. Um, a, a part of doubt is really reading, you know, a- atheists. Sure. Reading um, reasons that God yeah. may not exist, that Christianity may not be true. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking about historical critical methods of looking at, you know, Jesus the the man. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what was that experience like for you, Atheism for Lent? So Atheism for Lent is a, a class that Peter Rollins runs during Lent. Um, it's a wide, um, I would say it's a wide body of people that do it. Some people are atheists. Some people are deconstructed Christians. You have a lot of progressive mm-hmm. Christians. You have some evangelicals. Wide group of people. Mm. The whole premise, though, is that you read the great critiques of Christianity, and he has different weeks that lead into different things. But, you know, one of the first weeks is you read the great critiques of religion. So you read Marx, you read Freud, mm-hmm. you know, you read, um, you know, you read these different thinkers and you allow yourself to put yourself in the place of Jesus on the cross. So ultimately it's a journey of exploring doubt, of mm-hmm. exploring uncertainty. You know, he mm-hmm. talks a lot about the mystics and how, you know, they entered into this mystery and this uncertainty and that that was actually beautiful and that was divine. Yeah. And so for me, it was a whole process of allowing those doubts and allowing those questions, allowing those critiques to critique myself, to critique me as a believer, to then place myself fully ready and fully formed for the crucifixion that happened to Jesus, for mm-hmm. that Good Friday passion. Mm-hmm. Because we, if we have not grieved, can we truly rejoice on Easter? Mm. I think in a lot of ways what I grew up in, we really celebrated the resurrection, at least yeah. in this context. And yeah. we didn't, we didn't do the hard work of grieving beforehand to put it in context. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the disciples. They all ran away and were afraid. They didn't think he was getting up. Yeah. I'm not sure Jesus did. I don't know. I don't, I don't right. know what was in his head. Right. But I like to think, I like to put myself in that place and imagine Jesus wasn't so sure. Jesus, the man. Yeah. And so when, when that breakthrough comes, when that faith comes, and I'll, I'll call it trust, it, it all becomes so much sweeter. Mm. So as, as we wrap up, I think one thing that might be important to talk about is doubt, you know, not only in the sense of believing in God and believing in, 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 in Christ, when it comes to worship, but in people's everyday lives, you know, things, you know, and we talked about this a little bit when we talked about the wisdom literature, but bad things happen to good people every day. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, from a pastoral context, um, or just, just, a, just a, as a person of faith, who thinks about this stuff, you know, what do you say to someone who's doubting for a good, when, when, when tragedy, when they have strikes, a good reason when, for when, it, when unspeakable, um, you know, and, and just, just awful things happen and they're, they're really, there's really no reason for it. How do you blame someone for, for doubting or even, going so far as to just completely abandon God. Yeah, I I don't think you blame people for it. 
And this is where I think the community aspect's important. And, and I guess, actually, not to cut you off, but to cut you off, wh- where is God, you know... In those moments. In those moments, right. I like to think God is in the midst of those moments. Mm-hmm. The Bible says to mourn with those who mourn, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. I think as we experience those very human moments that God is in the midst of those things. Mm. We may not always recognize the presence of God right. as such in a worshipful, ecstatic way. Yeah. But I really do believe we experience the presence of God in one another. It's mm-hmm. the divine in the other. That in those moments where your community comes around you, whether or not you can believe, I'll yeah. believe for you. Right, right, right. And that, I think, is what the church does best and arguably hasn't always done well. But I believe that's what we should be doing. And, and it's okay, maybe, to say to someone, yeah, this terrible thing happened in your life. I don't blame you right now for having a little, a little bit of doubt, right? No, I would, I would probably be surprised if they didn't. Right, right. I, I, I actually think we should encourage people to walk through that because it's grief. Mm-hmm. You know, why, mm-hmm. why am I going to tell someone that is experiencing great tragedy? You should just have faith, brother. Mm-hmm. Just put it all behind you. Mm-hmm. No, we need to be smarter than that. And actually, rec- we wouldn't say that to anybody else, right? Right, right, right. You know, in any other context, we, we would, if it's a friend, we, we a family member. We grieve with them, right? We grieve yeah. with them. We'd put our arm around them. We'd have a beer with them. We would do whatever it would take. Mm-hmm. And so I think... You know that that's what we do when people have doubts in our communities, yeah. And when when tragedy happens, and that that's what, I think we we should respond at least in those moments. So so our time's almost up. Um, what else do you want to say about about da- about doubt, Jake? As we as we yeah. wrap up here. Well, I think as kind of a final word about what I think about doubt and as a faithful Christian practice is, it's it's a way for us to continue to learn about God. Because mm. it, it raises the questions, and that when you think you have all the certainty and you have all the answers, that's when you should be worried. It shouldn't be you shouldn't be worried when mm. you have a question. Mm-hmm. I, I want to encourage you to explore those questions and to push into those doubts and questions to figure out, hey, what's underneath that? Right, right. Well, thanks for this conversation today, Jake. Yeah, it was a interesting time. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to today's episode of I Think You're Wrong. If you would like to contribute to the conversation, follow us on Facebook or Instagram at I Think You're Wrong Pod.